0: As you know, we're going through the book of Philippians, and we have now arrived at the beginning of chapter four. Um, chapter 4 starts with the words, the word therefore. Therefore. <clears throat> Before I go therefore, um, let me just say that the book of Philippians has proven to be Superbly rich in truth, in not only in doctrine, because there's not a lot of doctrine in the book of Philippians, but in practical application, enormous, uh, beyond measure. And so here you find again, uh, he is telling us at the end of chapter 3, that we, have been, that we are citizens of heaven, citizens of the commonwealth of heaven. And, uh, and as such, he says there, at the beginning of chapter 4, therefore, on the basis of the fact that you are citizens of heaven, therefore, and then he expounds into a lot he is saying in chapter 4. But before he goes on, he makes it clear how he thinks about the Philippians. And it it sort of blew my mind a little bit how in one verse he packs so much. Dear my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, so steadfast in the Lord, Jesus, my beloved, my dearly beloved. In one verse, he says, my dearly beloved, a couple of times. He says, he speaks about how he longs for them. And how they are his joy and his crown. How sweet is that? Well, so let's look at that a little bit because it is worth looking at and uh, expounding a little bit to see what Paul is saying, because it is so incredibly beautiful. Somebody like Paul that sometimes you think he might have been a little bit stern and harsh maybe sometimes. Um, As we'll see, not harsh per se, but in in verse, whatever verse that is, maybe verse 3 or so, when he's asking help from the yoke fellow. Uh, In the Greek, he's asking it with a certain amount of sternness and a certain amount of curtness, knowing that someone who's in fellowship with the Lord is going to uh, do what he's asking him to do. Uh, But before we go over there, let's look at verse 1 then. So there's a connection with chapter 3. As citizens of 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 heaven, he says, and he starts with, Therefore, my brethren, Dearly beloved and longed for. And he expresses there in the Greek tense, it is on a personal, individual level is what he's addressing them. He's not just saying, oh, you nice Philippians, you're a nice group, I long to see you. He is saying it in a passionate way and in an individual basis. You, each one Philippians that I'm acquainted with, that I know of, that I've heard about from Ipravas, uh, uh, you individually, you are dearly beloved by me, and I long for you. My joy and my crown, my joy. As I was You know, when you prepare for a sermon, you ponder, you read, you study, you ponder. You're asking the Lord for uh, practical application and illustrations so that you can uh, maybe as best as possible bring the best possible presentation to the church so that they can best uh, recognize what Paul is saying because of not only what you are saying by the power of the Holy Spirit, but the illustration that God then would have given you. So yesterday morning, as I was writing some of this out, um, when it came to my joy and my crown, my mind went to our daughter. Her name is Micah Ruth. But shortly after birth, we started calling her Micah Joy because even as a newborn, she was just, just such a joy to us. And so I called her. Didn't get her, but then she called back and I told her, I say, honey, I was preparing for the sermon and I was reading about Paul expressing his joy to the Philippians that he called them my joy and my crown. And I say, my mind immediately went to you, honey. I say, it is not like you are more joy to us than your brothers. But we actually called you that name. Micah Joy. And even today, she signs her notes or letters, her signature, Micah Joy. Uh, and she is a joy. So my, my question then to you becomes, are you expressing some way or another to other people What a joy they are to you. How much you love them. I have told you on many occasions, how I tell people all the time, and I tell you, how much I love you, and how much I love loving you. So I could say my joy and my crown, not because you're mine, but because God has given me oversight over you, as a flock from the Lord, That he holds me responsible for, for your well-being and your spiritual maturity. My joy and my crown. And truly, uh, as Paul is expressing to the Philippians and to us, you are a joy to me. We've talked a lot about the idea. And later on, we'll, we'll come across a verse that says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So, but we, we, we are recognizing that Paul, while he is writing a letter in prison, how much he talks about joy. Now, you see, we, we brothers and sisters, we need to take note of that. Because we're not in prison. Right. We're not getting abused physically, whipped, sometimes go without food, or whatever the situation might be there. This was not... The Hilton that in Rome. This was a prison. And if you think that the prisons are bad these days, you should have been in those days how bad they were. And so um, then he writes about joy and has this portrayed this, portrays this attitude to the Philippians and to us. What a joy they are to him. My crown. There are really two words, and it's important to distinguish. Uh, there are really two words in the Greek that mean crown. One is Stephanos, is the word Stephanos. That is sort of like a, a woven wreath that you get when you win uh, a contest or when somebody is honoring you or, or whatever. Then there is another word, diadema. Diadema, we say diadem. Diadema is always used for royalty. So, a crown of royalty. So, in this scenario, then, he's not talking about that we are royalty. He's talking about that he is honoring us. because, And he himself is honored by the fact that uh, God has given him the privilege, the honor of... Uh, Of teaching and being an apostle over the Philippians. And I feel the same way that God has honored me that I might be your pastor. That is an honor. My dear brothers and sisters, that is not a job. You work, but it's not a job, it's a ministry, It's it's a joy. And if this is not a joy to you, don't be a pastor. My joy and my crown. And then he says, stand fast. Stand fast in the Lord. Don't go to the left or to the right. Be stand steadfast. On the right track. Stay on the road. And narrow as it is. Stay there. Uh, be steadfast. And then he repeats again the words, My dearly beloved. The word, if it is my my, you see this cursive, that means it is not in the original text. They just put it there, the translators just put it there for easier reading and better understanding. Because that's what he means. My dearly beloved. Just like I said earlier, in the Greek tense, it is on a personal level, on a personal basis. So it is proper that they put in there, my uh, dearly beloved for better understanding. Yes? You, you, you following me? Okay. Uh, verse 2. Verse 2, I beseech, uh, there shouldn't really be an S. That is really a man's name. It should be without the S for the Yodiah. Uh, Yodiah is is her name. And beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And the word beseech over here that he uses for both of these women, it is because these two women, they were at odds with each other. Does that happen in the church? (laughs) To our shame, we have to say, yes, it happens in the church. But to our shame, if it remains like that. And yes, okay, a mishap happens. Somebody had a little PMS or whatever, and and they got a little carried away, and and somebody got offended, and, 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 and then, okay, fine. But then, hey, go reconcile and make it right. Brothers and sisters. Well, the brothers don't have PMS, but the sisters. (laughs) You see what I'm talking about? And that is what Paul is saying over here. He says, I beseech you. And you realize, uh, let me ask this question then. When sisters or brothers, in this scenario, the sisters, when they are at odds, is that in the will of God? I just I just heard one or two notes. One's really soft, and one a little bit louder. Is this the will of God? Absolutely not. Thank you. Make every effort, a colossal effort, to bring or to maintain and safeguard and protect the unity of the spirit. So this is, and you see, and you don't see it in English so much, but a little bit. I beseech the word. The, the, a proper word in there is the word please. Because when two sisters are at odd, either one or both are out of the will of God. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Okay. If you are at odd with somebody, you're out of the will of God in that area of your life. Amen. Um, so, when you are dealing with people who are sort of like, ooh, Have an issue with God? Yes? If you're at odds with somebody else, you have an issue with God? Yes? You're out of God's will. Then, uh, when somebody is sort of out of fellowship with God and there's sort of a wall between them and God, then you have to be very careful how you approach them. You have to come on the basis of please. You have to come on the basis of gentleness. You have to come on the basis because they have an issue with God in the first place. So if you try to hammer somebody like that, you know, you, you, you blow the whole thing up. Amen. You come and approach very gently and carefully and on, with the, using the words please and, and, and those type of words. And that is what Paul is doing here with the two women. He says, please, come together. Be of the same mind. Come to the same page. Come to the Lord and make this thing Right. Verse 3, then he goes to one of the brothers whom he trusted. But the word that he uses to the brother is entreat. And in the Greek, that is a little bit um, stern as to stern. But that's a little bit more military language. Like help those two women. It's not like, please, Yoke fellow, please, please, would you do me a favor? No, he says, more curtly, help those two women. So when he says over here, and, and, the word and, in, in the original language, it, 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 it shows, it shines some light on the fact that these women were well on their way in moving in that direction to reconcile. That's what it means over here. Sorry, I, 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 you don't see it in the English, but in the Greek, that's, that's true. And the word help means that... Uh, they were, they were on their way, but they need a little bit of help. They need a little assistance. And that is often true, yes? When there's two people at odds, many times it takes a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. It is a characteristic of a son of God, one who has Jesus in him and living in them, that they are peacemakers. And they stick their head out. So that two sisters, or two brothers, or a brother and a sister, a husband and a wife, parents and children, children and parents, can come to peace together. And he says, help them. Sometimes you need a little, an intermediary to help out a little bit. That calms things down. That comes in the wisdom from heaven. Pure and a whole list of seven over there. Uh, what, what are those in uh, James? Uh, the seven elements of godly wisdom. I forget them. No hypocrisy, no partiality, full of fruit and mercy, uh, and so on and so forth. Entreating. So, with with those type of attitudes, then is what somebody who comes and tries to make peace with two people. He comes with godly wisdom uh, so that he can facilitate this making of peace. And that's often the case. That's often the case between a husband and a wife. That's often the case between brothers. And and so um, I just recently uh, experienced the coming together of two brothers that we're not at odds, that's too strong, but there was, even though a razor-thin wall between them, I, I i couldn't hack it because I wanted that wall to be gone. So anyways, long story short, I had the, the joy to see that this thing came together. And it is a joy. So Paul is saying to the, the yoke fellow over there, Help these two women. And and these two women, it was not like they were not faithful in the work of the Lord. They were co-laborers with Paul at one time. They they worked together. They, They worked together for the kingdom of God. And it is strange to me, but it happens that people... That are on fire for the work of the Lord, but they are not on fire for the God of the work. They let things come in the way. They just think that if they do this work, and, and, and I always take an issue as, as as you're reading Oswald Chambers, then he takes an issue uh, with working for God. He says, "No, no, no, no. This is our excuse: working for God. We need to be working." With God. And see, when you work with God, then there is no, there's nothing between us. There's nothing between us. <clears throat> if there's something, we, we get together quickly and settle the matter. So, labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other uh, fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So, we're talking about Christian folks over here. Their names are in the book of life. We're not talking about uh unbelievers, uh, those those type of... These are believers. These are are people that have labored with Paul in the work of the Lord. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We won't spend a lot of time over here, but I just want to remind you again, as Paul is reminding us, that we should be people of rejoicing. People of joy. And I said before when this thing came up, that people are thinking of the, the idea of joy, it is an inner state of your soul that is deep down inside. It's not dependent upon outside circumstances. True enough. Right. And so therefore the excuse is, if I'm not showing it, it is because it is deep in my heart. I've always said, well, tell your face about it, but... Uh, that's an old joke but i i I had to repeat it uh some things i was repeating but the other thing is this that the root for joy is the same root as rejoicing and so when paul is saying rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice if you say to me that you are rejoicing i should be able to tell no Now, CJ, is that not right? I should be able to tell. CJ is rejoicing. I can tell. Hmm? I can tell. Are you rejoicing? Yes, I can tell. Yeah, look, look. Yes. I have to tell you a story. I teach to little kids. A boy and a girl. And I'll just talk about the girl. Precious as she is. But sometimes she comes, I'm a tennis pro if you don't know, I, 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 besides being a pastor. Um, sometimes she she's six years old and she comes with a lousy attitude. And I, I, I'm not one that takes it easy, a lousy attitude. I think, you know, if you're tired, stay home. <laughs> well, they have the, the, the two-year-old syndrome. They are, they are tired. Well, if he's tired, he's too bad. If he's, if he's here at the table, he needs to behave. Uh, so, but anyways, I make my story short. Uh, some years ago, um, how do you call that thing? On television for the little kids that I told you the story this morning, Sherry. What, what, what was the thing I, t- I tell you about the bobblehead thing that, what? Cartoon Network? Cartoon, I couldn't think of the name. Cartoon Network came in cahoots with the tennis industry, and they built some nice things like little bobblehead trophies with Goofy or whatever his name is, and and uh, wristbands with Cartoon Network and caps. With a tr- so, but anyways, ultimately the thing didn't go and, and so cartoon network got out of it and they put on special some of these things so i bought a bunch of them one of, of a bunch of those things as well as the trophies the bubble had trophies and i thought to myself i'm going to get her so i got my trophy in the car left it in the i'm uh, sorry i had it in my bag and um and i told her I say, I have a prize for you, but to get that price, you have to work hard and have a good attitude. And by the way, money cannot buy this price. If you have the money, you cannot get it. There's 12 left, and I got the 12. Do you want one of those? Yes. Her face lit up. Oh. All of a sudden, her face lit up, and she got a bounce on her step, and there she was. Okay, ready position, and she was in the ready position. Okay, get ready for the forehand. Boom. Yeah, a sidestep. Come on. Come. Oh, she was working now, and with a good attitude. I actually, <laughs> to my shame, <laughs> I delighted in that. <laughs> I got her. <laughs> but I thought to myself, oh, a six-year-old. Can change your attitude just like that. And as adults, we're going around all day, if not all week, with a bad attitude. And I'm thinking, hey, get an attitude check. And change it. Do you need to go to the prayer closet? Go. And go before God and change your attitude. And Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord. Always. Always. Why is that word always there? Can you tell me? Huh? Anytime. He, he, he's saying he wants to rejoice always. <laughs> That's why he put it there. He didn't want to rejoice every once in a while. He said rejoice in the Lord always. And then he repeats it again. He says, and again I say rejoice. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, when your heart is full with the, the joy of the Lord, somehow or another, it needs to show up in your life. Right. If, you, if you have a chance, look on your phone or look on your computer. Uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll has a, a short little, little thingy description about attitude. Look it up on your phone. It is priceless. It will do you good. And if, it, if you say, well, I'm there, I'm, I'm joyful, give it to somebody else, a co-worker or whoever. I was going to say your spouse, but I'm getting myself in trouble already. <laughs> Verse 5. What time we have? What time is it? A little bit before 12. Okay, we're doing great. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Your moderation. I have a couple of notes that I'd like to read to you on moderation. Let me just find it here, moderation. The words that come on moderation, because the word moderation, the English word for moderation doesn't really describe what the original text means, but I'm going to give it to you, and this is what it is. Things like gentleness, forbearance. Sweet reasonableness. Sweet reasonableness. And I check this one out. You're being satisfied with less than you do. You're being satisfied <clears throat> with less than you do. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, let's talk about forbearance, sweet reasonableness. uh, Sweet reasonableness. Isn't it a blessed person that you deal with when they are reasonable? But this person is not only reasonable. They are sweetly reasonable. There is a sweetness about their reasonableness. That reminds me of Jesus Christ. That reminds me of how we should relate to one another in a sweet reasonableness. But to be satisfied with less than you do, that is a characteristic of Jesus Christ. To be satisfied with less than you do. Because when he was here on earth, he almost always got less than he is due. And then still, today, often we give him less than he is due. So, that is a difficult thing. But here is where it requires us to be in in cahoots with the Holy Spirit. That he can show us and teach us. What a sweet reasonableness it is. To be satisfied with less than you you do. You do this much. They give you this much. And there's a sweet reasonableness about you. That you're totally satisfied with. it. It's okay. It's good. But the truth of the matter is, my dear brothers and sisters, unfortunately... We want more than we do. We're not satisfied with less than we do. This is one of the things, uh, 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 I can see it in different words, but this is one of the things that I want God to build in me. To be satisfied with less than I'm due. No attitude about it. Satisfied with it. No problemo. And he says, "Let your moderation be known unto all men. Let it be known to all men that you have a sweet uh, 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 reasonableness." He is not saying, "Go announce it to people. Hey, I have some sweet uh, reasonableness, Michelle." (laughs) Is Is that right, sister? I have a sweet reasonableness. No, he is saying the word "known" is actually not the right translation. It should be, "Let it be made known." Or a better translation would even be, let it be shown to all men. In other words, he's not saying that that moderation, that sweet reasonableness, should just be in your heart, and in your mind, and in your brains. It should be in your attitude and in your behavior. It should come out of your system. That it shows up because it needs, all men need to be able to see it. The Lord is at hand. I'm so great grateful because the Lord is near. And he'll help me with that. Hallelujah. Verse 6. Verse 6 starts with, yeah, we're still in good shape. Verse 6 and 7, they give us a whole, you could call that part 2 of the sermon. Verse 6 gives us the problem. The problem. Then Paul goes on and he gives us the cure or the solution. And then he gives us the results of when we put to bear that cure, when we put to bear that solution, then this is what comes out of it. This is the result of it. The problem is anxiety. Be careful for nothing. The word careful over here is really an old translation. Because today, careful means that you are going to bring to bear some caution as to not get into an accident or something like that. Careful. Be careful. But in when it was translated, be careful, it meant something else. It meant truly full of care. Not careful. Full of care. In other words, you're full of care about something. In other words, the translation is, from the Greek, worry, anxiousness, anxiety. And your translation might actually say, be anxious for nothing. No? No? Somebody have there, be anxious for nothing? Thank you. There we go. Be anxious for nothing. And that's what it means. Be anxious for nothing. This is the problem, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, I have to give you some parameters over here concerning when I'm speaking to you about anxiety, anxiousness. Because... uh, we need to sort of define a little bit what anxiety is, what anxiousness is. Anxiousness has to do with the idea that you're getting uptight and nervous and um, on edge because of a circumstance or a difficulty that comes your way. It is not, I'm not talking about you're thinking in the middle of the night of a solution to your problem. That is not anxiety. That is just planning, scheming. I'm not talking about thinking, planning, scheming, those type of things. You ought to do those things. But I'm thinking about you laying awake at night, planning, scheming, and get sweaty hands and get uptight about what what is laying ahead the next day. And you are, you are losing a little bit of control of your emotions such that you go sleepless, you're on edge, you're moody, you take sleeping pills, you're taking medication, you, 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 all these things. You talk mean to other people because you're on edge. You're normal, You're anxious. And he says, Be anxious for nothing. I have found... And this is nothing new. Anxiety is not a new thing. Yes? Paul is talking about it 2,000 years ago. (laughs) So, this is not a new thing. But he's saying... Let me ask you this question. In your opinion... Is worry or anxiety, is that of God? Okay, that was one or two of you. It's not. When you worry about something, when you worry about something, uh, you are basically saying to God, okay, God, you created all the galaxies. Just by your word. But what is happening to me is too big for you. I don't think you're up to it. That's what worry means. No? Is that an unreasonable statement? It is unreasonable or is it reasonable? Sweet, reasonable. <laughs> it is a reasonable statement, it's the truth. If you if you want to bottom line it, worry is a sin. This is what you're telling God. God, I don't think you can handle it. So let me just fret and get uptight and edgy. I'm not talking about a chemical imbalance in your body. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that when you get in a crowd, you, 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 you get a little bit... It's like some people are a little bit scared of heights. It's in their system. When, when there's heights... They, they are uncomfortable. Some people are uncomfortable close to water. They have had some bad experiences as a child with the water. And they, 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 some some people uh, uh, get excited when they're in, in a big crowd. They, they, they are not comfortable there. They are more comfortable sort of being by themselves a little bit. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about circumstances. Yes, Brother John. As, as, <laughs> It's sort of like motor snorkeling. <laughs> okay, okay, I don't have time to go into that, that joke that brother John, but, but I'll explain sometime, as, as I have before. Um, so I'm talking about that something is happening in this circumstances that you basically have no control over, and you're falling apart, you're going to pieces over it. And it causes you to do all these things that are uncharacteristics of your normal behavior. You talk mean. You're curt with people. You can't sleep. You're, you're, you're fidgety. You are on edge. You, you, all these things. You, 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 you take medication because you, you need to calm down a little bit. Hey, there is a cure. And Jesus gives us a cure here through Paul. And he says... But he says, nothing you should be anxious about. He, and In the Greek it means, not even one thing. So, there's no exceptions. But you, you say when people say, don't be anxious for nothing. Well, how about this one? And how about this one? He says, nothing, not even one thing. It, it's, it's all, nothing is excluded from the all things. Nothing. Because if you're anxious for nothing, you're anxious for nothing. (laughs) For nothing. Because you can't add anything to it. There's no benefit to it. If anything, there's a detriment to it. And he he gives us a cure. But in everything, in everything, in everything, by prayer, The word here has uh, has to has to do with a sort of certain sort of amount of worship and devotion to God, and supplication, which adds the element of humility to it. Supplication it comes from a word that means to bend. A, a sense of humility to it, with thanksgiving. Oh, Paul! Now you're getting to me, my my friend. Thanksgiving. I find myself in a situation that I I find myself anxious about and you tell me to be thanksgiving to give thanks. And I'm wondering if Paul is saying, hey, that when you bring it before the Lord, you can now go into an area of thanksgiving. You don't have to be anxious anymore. I don't know. I'm just... This is what... Well, not everywhere I'm speculating, but I'm telling you that I'm speculating. So you can know that this is not what it what it means. But I can just I, I can just imagine. Let your request be made known unto God. So he says, In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Verse 7. That was the cure. This is the result. And the peace of God. Which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And the peace of God. So, obviously, he's talking to believers, yes? He talked about the word brother. He talked about people whose, whose names are written in the book of life. He's talking to the brothers and sisters at the church at Philippi. And therefore also to us. So, he's talking to brothers and sisters and he says, the peace of God. So, apparently, the peace of God was escaping these people. They had peace with God because they were converted, they were believers. They had peace with God, but peace with God does not guarantee the peace of God. Yes? Is this a reasonable statement? The peace with God does not guarantee the peace of God in your life. The peace of God is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, for one thing. And he says that if you are walking by the flesh, you won't have that peace of God. Right. You'll have all kinds of other things. An ugly, ugly, ugly list is what he gives us in Galatians, the fifth chapter. And so over here, if he says then that, hey, if you're anxious, do this, this, and this, and this, and the peace of God shall, shall, shall be with you, then this wouldn't have any meaning If the peace with God automatically guarantees you the peace of God. Because you know people, many Christians, that don't have the peace of God. They are restless. They are always in turmoil. You know people like Christians like that? I know gobs of them. And so, but he says then, the cure is that when you're anxious, and you go to the the Lord in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, he says, I guarantee you the peace of God. My dear brothers and sisters, to have the peace of God here is worth more than gold, more than heaps of gold. The heaps of gold will get you more anxiety. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> now you have to hide it. Now you, they come to steal it. Now you have to <laughs> alarm systems, security systems, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> My gold, <laughs> okay, gold can't buy this. It is beyond understanding. Even you can't comprehend that you find yourself in these difficult, trying circumstances that blow your mind in a way, and but in your heart. There is a rest and a peace of God. And you simply cannot understand how that can be. Because you cannot understand how that can be. This peace is beyond understanding. This peace is beyond comprehension. So it is important to see, though, brothers and sisters, and I'm sort, of, I'm sort of on my way toward closing. It is important, brothers and sisters, when you go to the Lord in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, He is not guaranteeing you that He'll answer your prayer the way you want it answered. The one thing that He's guaranteeing you is that you will have peace, His peace in your heart. And you don't have to be anxious anymore. That is what He's guaranteeing. Brothers and sisters, if you have ever found yourself anxious... And then the peace of God comes over you. You know instantly what I'm talking about over here. Because you can't believe the rest that comes to your heart. How your anxiety vanished. Now, my brothers and sisters... I'm just sharing the Word of God with you. And in no wise am I scolding anybody for being anxious. Paul is not scolding anybody, and I'm not scolding anybody. I'm teaching you because I want you to be victorious, as Paul wants the Philippians to be victorious, and as he talks this sweet language to them and says, My dearly beloved, I long to see you. I long for you, and you are my joy and my crown. Be steadfast, my dearly beloved. This is the language that he's using. He's not scolding anybody. He's just saying, don't be anxious. Go to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And the peace of God. That passes all All. understanding, all comprehension, shall keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about the word keep, and then then we'll be done. The word keep here, somebody plays soccer over here. Peter was a soccer player, or is a soccer player. Who plays soccer? Okay, Kayla plays soccer. Okay, come here, Kayla. No, 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 it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. I won't embarrass her or whatever. Okay, Kayla. You told me that you are a goalkeeper, yes? I was, yes. Was. Okay. So if I ask you the question, what does a goalkeeper, what is the job? (laughs) No, you're fine. That's that's not difficult. Here. (laughs) If I ask you the question, what is the job of a goalkeeper? What would you say? In your own words. To keep the ball out of the net. To keep the ball out of the net. When the opponent opponent kicks the ball because they want to have the ball go in the goal, the goalkeeper is your job to protect that goal from the balls going in that goal. Yes? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You're so good. Yes. That is the job of a goalkeeper. That's what it means to keep. That the peace of God is the keeper of your heart and your mind. That when the enemy is shooting at you, with whatever errors or soccer balls or whatever they try to get in there, to get it in in your goal, to get it in your mind and in your system, the peace of God is keeping it out. Now, brothers and sisters, that is one huge blessing to me. That if I go to the Lord in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, then his peace becomes the keeper of my mind and my heart. His peace becomes the keeper of my mind and my mind and my heart. I don't have to be the keeper any longer. I can't do it. All it will do is get me more anxious. But the peace of God. God has given that peace, his peace, the job of keeping your mind and your heart from the attack from the enemy. So when you find yourself anxious, go to the Lord in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And feel his peace come over you. That in his economy, everything is A-OK. He hasn't missed anything. He's seen everything that has come to pass. Matter of fact, he might have orchestrated some of that. So that you can come to a better place in your life. A place of greater victory. Knowing to count on God and his peace. To be the keeper of your heart and your mind. So you don't have to do it any longer. Because you doing it is just going to get you in a mess. The mess that you find yourself already in because you're anxious. Let the peace of God do it. He's quite capable. God has given him that job to do it. What a glorious thing it is. So my dear brothers and sisters, I want to give you an assignment. Let me give you an assignment. This is a pleasant assignment. The assignment I want to give you is uh, don't be anxious for anything. One. Now, me giving you that assignment, does that mean you're not going to be anxious for anything? No, it doesn't mean that. So, assignment number two. If you find yourself anxious for something, would you, would you, on request and appeal from your pastor, go to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and ask Him for His peace to come in and keep your heart and your mind at rest and at peace? Would you do that? So don't be anxious. Don't, 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 Go into a situation, you know, that you know if you can stay out of it, that is to say, that is going to stress you, especially already a little bit stressed. You may have to back out of that a little bit. If you can't, then go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your peace to guard my mind and my heart. I'm going to a rough situation. Do you ever go into a rough situation? Yeah. And when you're preparing to go in that situation, your heart flutters a little bit. Your, your palms sweat a little bit. That is a normal reaction. But don't go to pieces. Because the peace of God will keep your heart and your mind. So you, you got the assignment? One, don't be anxious. Stay close to the Lord. The Lord is at hand. Secondly, if you find yourself a little anxious, would you go to the Lord in prayer, supplication, thanksgiving? And the peace of God will come to your aid. The aid of your heart and your mind. That is pretty big, brothers and sisters. I can't tell you how excited I was to come share this with you this morning. Amen. Uh, have you noticed? Whatever. <laughs> uh, because this is such great news to me. This is such a big deal to me that we might be people of rest and peace and not on edge. tight because circumstances that I don't have control over are eating me up, eating my lunch. Instead, it's different. How can you be so calm? I know what is going on in your life. How can you be so calm? Well, I thought you'd never ask. The peace of God through Jesus Christ, Enjoy. and thank you and and, and so then, then comes the, the great joy, right that you were f- first anxious and now there's peace, and wow, I told you this morning that one of the songs, the third song is the one I needed. ah. Does the enemy attack you from time to time? So when I was preparing about, don't be anxious for anything, be anxious for nothing. then I get the news that our middle one, who rides sports bikes, you know, I call these bicycles, and he goes rides in the streets. this is not a motorbike, not, not a little mountain bike, but just a race bike type thing, 10 speed. huh? A bike, yeah. Like a 10-speed type thing, and he's riding his bike 28 miles an hour. He's going down the hill, and a, a car that is supposed that supposed to, to turn turns right in front of him. Boom! And he was able to reduce his speed to 26 miles an hour, and then bum runs into the car. Gash in his cheek and his jaw, uh, and who knows what else was happening had ha- happened to him, and so. Sybil calls and says, this is what happens. He's in the hospital, and we talked. And as I was driving, I was thinking, be anxious for nothing. And so when we talked again, I said, honey, this is the thing that came to my mind. Be anxious for nothing. I was sharing it with, with a sister over the phone, and she said, well, God didn't want you to just to talk theory. He wants you to talk from experience. He gave you an experience right then and there. Amen. Thankfully, everything is okay, but you don't know that when you first get, this, when, when you first get the call.